If you've been with us this summer, you've known that over time there's been like this developing rivalry between Nate and Casey as to who can make the other one read the most verses at the start of the sermon. And I don't know what I did to Nate, but uh, I'm reading 43 verses this morning. So we're going to be in, uh, in Psalm 107. So if you want to open it up, uh, you can open up or it'll be on the screen behind me. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to the city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of the Lord and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business in the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord and his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from all their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol in the congregation of the people and praise in the, him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he lifts up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. They, the upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray as we begin this morning. So, eternal God, we pray today that you would satisfy us this morning 
with your, with your steadfast love. And that's what we ask this morning you do. You'd satisfy us with your love. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. So when I was growing up and I was about the same age as my kids are, one of my earliest memories was going to my grandparents' house. And we go there on like a Friday night. We wake up in the morning about Saturday and um, we get around this huge pine table. We'd all gather around there and, you know, it'd be the smell of just venison and eggs and there's pancakes and there was cereal and my grandparents had like Captain Crunch and it was like amazing because my parents didn't have that, you know, and it was like this amazing breakfast spread. And I'd be there with a lot of my cousins and we'd, we'd be eating and we'd be feasting and then like my aunts and uncles would you know, obviously join in and, and then my, my, my grandpa, he always had a chair like right here. My grandma would sit here and um, it's like always happened when we went up to my grandparents. But there's one thing that happened every time we gathered around that table. And it was this, that we couldn't leave until these first two verses were said of Psalm 107. I remember as kids, like, we'd be like, we want to go play, like, we're done. Like, all of our feasting is done. We just want to go play. And, and my grandparents would be like, not yet, not yet. And then get out a little, little, like, book, and then they'd have, like, a passage of scripture and kind of a little bit of thought for the day. And then everybody in unison would say this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then we would just bolt, you know? Like, I love Psalm 107, not because of its content, but because it meant I could go do the rest of the day what I wanted to do. It was, it was awesome. So, um, <laughs> these words are what oriented my family every morning. This was the rhythm to eat some good food, to sit around the table, to read a little bit of scripture, and then these words. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That was the mantra. That was the chorus. That was what they orbited their lives around. And verse 43, at the very end, says this, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. We're going to think, we're going to reflect, we're going to look at what this text says about the steadfast love of the Lord. And maybe to begin, I'll just say this. Let's just consider for a moment, like, what does it mean? What does it mean that God is a God of steadfast love? And I would say this, if, if you are reading the scriptures and you come across a moment in which it says that this is who God is, like this is his characteristic, this is his attribute, you know, that you would just pause for a moment and say, okay, that's pretty amazing. There's something here that's telling us about who God is. And, and in verse one, it says that he is good and that he has steadfast love. And um, in the book of Psalms alone, this word, steadfast love, is used over 120 times. God himself uses it in, in kind of his self-disclosure with Moses. In Exodus 34, 6, he says, 
this about himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And underneath that term of steadfast love is this Hebrew word that's, that's pronounced hesed, and it's other translations trying to connect the Hebrew to our modern-day English kind of amplify it with words like unfailing, words like loyal, that God is, has this loyal love, that God has this unfailing love. One of the earliest times actually within the scriptures when you begin to see this, this, this description used about God is when actually when one of Abraham's servants is sent on a mission to find a wife for his son Isaac. And this servant's like, I got this task to do. I'm going to go north. And he, and he just says, he says this, God, would you show steadfast, your steadfast love to Abraham? And basically, like, would you find this, this son a wife? Would you bless my journey? Would you bless this task? And it happens. And then he says, blessed be the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast, his loyal, his unfailing love. Now, perhaps... You think about steadfast love, and it's loyal, and it's unfailing, and it's relentless, but the other side of this is perhaps considering what, it, what is the opposite of it. That would be a love that is fickle, a love that is capricious, a love that is unstable, a love that is unpredictable, a love that is erratic, a love that is temperamental. But Psalm 107 begins by saying that God's very essence, his very being is one of being steadfast in his love. He is not erratic in his love. He is not temperamental in his love. He is not unstable in his love. He is unfailing. He is relentless. He is loyal in his love. I love how um, we have this uh, children's Bible at our house. It's the, it's the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it translates it, kind of amplifies it, and says this, that God's never-ending never giving up, always and forever love. This is what Psalm 107 tells us to consider. This is who God is. Um, now, you might at this point say, well, that's, that's nice. I'm glad that that's, I mean, that's a good idea, right? That's a good nature, a good attribute to have. But you might say, like, well, what does that actually look like in action? What, is it, what, what does it actually do? And it's actually what the rest of Psalm 107 is about. It kind of sets this table, says this is who God is. He's got steadfast love. And then guess what happens next? There are four snapshots, four scenes in which the psalmist unpacks and says, let me show you what this type of love, what it does. So there's one theme that runs through the entire course of these snapshots. And it's the theme of adversity. It's the theme of trouble. Every one of them, they are in a desperate situation. And it says, all right, let's see, how is God going to respond? What is he going to do in these situations? So let's just look for a moment at these situations. So for a moment, look at verses 4 and 5. This is the first scene, the first snapshot. It says this, some wandered in desert wastes, finding 
no way to a city to dwell in. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. That's situation, that's snapshot number one. Ver- situation number two is 10 and 11. It says this, Some sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction, and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. There's darkness. They're, they're in prison. The reason they're there is because they themselves have rebelled against God. Verses 17 and 18 are the, the, the next set, the next scene, the next snapshot. It's this. It says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. This scenario, this snapshot is one of people who have been sinful in their ways, and because of their choices, they've actually suffered various afflictions. And and the psalmist calls them fools. That's scenario number three. Scenario number four, um, verse 24 says this, They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. It's this picture of these men on this ship in the sea, and they're overcome. They're overwhelmed. They're at their wit's end. There's nothing they can do. Four snapshots of trouble. And the question is, how will the God of steadfast love respond to these situations, to these people? Now, before we go on to find out, I want to pause for a moment because I want to consider a couple different things about this context. You see, this particular people who are singing this psalm they had firsthand understanding of adversity and trouble. This was penned in the midst of a community that had just returned from Babylon. And, and they didn't go there for vacation, okay? Like, it wasn't like, hey, that's a beautiful place. They had been in Babylon because they were exiled there. It wasn't their homeland. And what had happened, the, 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 the short story is this, is that they had gone, they were called out to be a people for this God. Called out, and God had given them this land, and and he had said, hey, just be faithful to me. I love you. I've called you out. Be faithful. And yet these people, they were fickle in their love toward God. They were erratic. They were temperamental, and they began actually to actually serve the gods of the other nations around them. (coughs) And God, in his steadfast love, kept on sending prophet after prophet after prophet, saying, return to me, return to me. And then there was just, if you don't, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences, but please return to me. And, and slowly but surely, they did not return. And because of their unfaithfulness, God exiled them to Babylon. They knew adversity and trouble in their lives. In fact, one commentator combines all of these snapshots that we just read and says that this people knew of wandering, of being hungry and thirsty for the salvation of God in the great desert of the world. They had been imprisoned in exile. 
They had been ill because of their transgressions and had been all but swallowed up in the vast sea of the nations. They were a people who knew adversity and trouble because their love toward this God was not steadfast. It was erratic. It was fickle. It was capricious. And we need to, for a moment, just not even think upon just these lives here with this particular community, but even just for a moment reflect on our own lives. You see, this experience of kind of being exiled from this land, uh, this was not the first time it happened. If you actually go to the very beginning of Scripture, God creates everything. It's this beautiful paradise. And sets our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the midst of this beautiful garden. And says, hey, it's all yours. Just one thing. Don't eat from, the true, the, from, from this tree here. Don't eat from this tree. And if you're familiar a little bit with the scriptures, you, you know that, what do they do? The serpent comes and tempts and they, they take a bite. And what happens? All of a sudden, this paradise is lost. And this is, this is in essence, the story of what's wrong with the world. It all comes back to this point here. This is when death and disease and destruction and hearts that were meant to love God first and love our neighbors all of a sudden become bent and broken And at the very end of that story, what happens? They are exiled from the garden. And actually, the story of humanity is this, that our love is erratic, and it is temperamental, and it is failing in response to the God who's made us for himself, right? That if we be honest, all of us understand that there's some element of which we know there's adversity and trouble in our lives because of who we are. If we we're honest, we, we, we'd probably say, you know, we're, we're kind of the same shade as those who in verse 11 have rebelled against the words of God. We probably have the same heart, right, as verse 17, which says, they've been fools through their sinful ways. And I think this is the problem, right? Because perhaps when you get to that point, if you really own up to it, you begin to wonder, so if, if I let that down, if I'm honest, like, what is God's love going to do? Is it still going to be there? I remember uh, the young man coming to my door a number of years ago who was in tears. And he's, just, he's just broken because he had just messed around with his girlfriend sexually, and he knew, he knew that wasn't what God wanted. And he's, he's wondering at that moment, hey, what is this God of steadfast love? How is he going to respond to me now? Has his love perhaps finally run out? I think about the phone call. I got late one night, and the other end is a friend who's just coming to grips with his past. And it's, he's, he's just, he, re- he recognizes just all the stuff that he's done. And you know, it's not hard for him to look around and go, okay, I can understand how God could love these people and these people, but I can't even mention the things that I've done. It's just so shameful. Like, how is the God who has steadfast love going to respond to me? To what I've done? Haven't I exhausted it? For others, right? It's it's the day-in, day-out battles that more often than not, sometimes we feel like we're just losing. You know what? It's it's the, you know what, like, I, I said I would never go back to that website again. And there I am, right there again. 
It's the, you know, I've been short with my kids again, and I, I know I shouldn't be, but here I am again. It's the, you know, just fill in the blank, right? You begin to wonder, okay, so how is this God of steadfast love, how is he going to respond to me in my adversity, in my trouble, in the wake of who I am? So it was nine days ago that there was a train that was traveling from Amsterdam down to Paris. And it was in Belgium, and a man came out of the bathroom with his shirt off and had an AK-47 rifle armed. And it was then that Three Americans, Alec Scarletus, Spencer Stone, and Anthony Sadler, a student, on their own initiative, wrestled him to the ground. They, they saved dozens, potentially hundreds of lives. They rescued that train from certain doom. That's an amazing story, is it not? A story of rescue? You guys, that story, that true story, that's what happens every time in each one of these situations in Psalm 107, how God responds to these people's adversity and trouble. He rescues. Look with me. Look with me in verse 6. Those who are thirsty and hungry, those who are wandering, they cry out, and in verse 6 it says, and he delivered them from their distress. Not only that, but in verse 13, those who were imprisoned in chains because of their own acts of rebellion against God, they cry out to the Lord, and it says in verse 13 that he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He delivers. In verse 19, those who were fools, they cried to the Lord and it says that he, again, he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and what does he do? He heals them. He heals them. All the things that they were afflicted by because of their choices, he actually heals In verse 28, the the men who are on the ship and it's going down, what does he do? They cry out and it says, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Over and over and over again. What do we see here? It's a repetition. The steadfast, loyal, unfailing love responds to all these adversities, all these problems, all these troubles. And what does it do? It rescues. It rescues. It's not just talk. It's action. One of the things that it talks about over and over again here, it talks, it describes these this, these rescue things as wondrous works. And let me suggest to you that all these wondrous works, they all rush forward, they all point forward to one man. It's Jesus. 
You see, it's in Mark's gospel where what happens? This steadfast love of the Lord puts on flesh in the person of Jesus, and he is the one who goes out into the wilderness, and what does he do? He feeds those who are hungry. What does Jesus do? He, he's the one who sees the man who's possessed by a demon, and what does he do? He frees them from his bonds. He casts them out. He's the one who sees the sick, and what does he do? He heals, and he forgives. And don't you remember the story when he's on the boat and he's asleep and the storm is coming? And what happens? Disciples are freaking out. They wake him up. And Jesus, what does he do? He, he speaks one word to the storm. And it's just, it's, it's over. It's hush. And and of course, all of these individual instances of Jesus rescuing various individuals in their predicaments points us, obviously, to the most stunning work of all, does it not? You see, what, what, what do we see with Jesus? He has this loyal, steadfast love that leads him to a place in which he would thirst. To a place in which he would be bound to a place that the prophet Isaiah would say that it's by his wounds we can be healed. To a cross where, what, the waves of judgment because of our sin would come crushing over him. See, if you, if you want to see the steadfast love of the Lord in action, you look to the person and the work of Jesus. That's the picture of it. Don't you see, uh, whatever trouble you find yourself in today, whatever adversity, whatever consequences to whatever you've done this past week, this past month, this past life, don't you understand? That God's steadfast love means he's relentless and he's loyal and he's unfailing. It is not fickle. It does not give in. It's available. And one of the most interesting things about this psalm is, is its inclusiveness to this love. Inclusiveness. And wh what do I mean by that? It, see, oftentimes in the book of Psalms, it'll talk about God's kind of special relationship with Israel. And that's very much true. But here, the beneficiaries in all four snapshots, they're all marked out as not Israel, but it says the sons of men. It's very, in some sense, generic. And the basis for deliverance, the basis for rescue every time, it comes down to two things. One, God's character, his goodness and steadfast love. And on this side, the cry of those in trouble. But listen, th this is what happens every time in every instance. In verse 6, it says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. In verse 13, Then they cried to the Lord in trouble. In verse 19, Then they cried to the Lord in trouble. In verse 28, Then they cried to the Lord in trouble. That's what happens every time. And every time, what happens? And he delivered them from their distress. One commentator put this way, that what sets... This is, this is awesome. What is it that sets the steadfast love of the Lord in motion? What is it? 
Every time, it's the cry of those in trouble. That's what it is. It's those who say, I need you. That's it. That's what sets the steadfast love of the Lord in motion. Just dependence. That's it. For anyone. What's, what's interesting as well is the fact that you'll notice on the back side of Psalm 107, there's a little bit of contrast, and it contrasts it with the wicked and the strong. That this is who God opposes. That God opposes the wicked and the strong. And what's interesting about this is that, <laughs> you know, for any of these people who have been rescued in here, you, you, there's not necessarily a big difference between their actions and perhaps the actions of the wicked. The only difference between them being rescued and the wicked and strong not is because they have cried out. And these over here have not. Let me assure you, let me assure you that no matter what your story is, no matter what doubts you have to what God might do, let me assure you that what sets the love of the Lord in motion is simply a dependent cry of faith that looks to the person and the work of his son Jesus. He will not reject. He will not deny he will not fickle out. He will meet you. He will heal you. He will fill you. He will rescue you. Will you come? Mark Malowski uh, is an account manager at Facebook. And um, he sat two seats behind the three Americans that rescued that train. And on Monday, he posted to, of course, Facebook. I mean, he works for him, right? So he's going to post to Facebook. But this is what he wrote. I would not be alive today if it was not for those guys, our heroes. I can't also forget Damien, the French hero who stood up against the terrorists at the beginning and probably messed up his initial plans. He writes, we got so lucky. On that same day, the French president, you know, cleared his calendar, brought these four guys in and gave them the highest civilian honor, the Legion of Honor. That's what you do with a hero, right? Like, that's what you do when men like that, at the risk of their lives, for others, lay it down. Like, you pay tribute. You give thanks. Like, that's not a hard thing to know, right? Psalm 107. How does it begin? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. There is this chorus throughout. In verse 8, what happens after they're rescued? Those who are hungry and thirsty, and God leads them. It says, 
Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. In verse 15, those who have been rescued from out of darkness in the shadow of death, it says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. You note the repetition, right? You know what's coming next. You go on to verse 21, and those who were fools who were rescued and were healed. It says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And then, of course, you go to verse 31. The men at sea, when it's when they're brought into their desired haven, they're rescued. It says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. See, here's the point. When you understand that you're in adversity, and that you're in trouble, and that God has come in the person and work of Jesus, not just at the risk of his life, but at the very cost of it, the only response, right, the only valid response is one of thanks. Like, that's what it is. So, as I think about Redeemer City, I mean, in essence, like, that's what we are, okay? Like, the reason we gather, in fact, like the beginning of Psalm 107, it's just gathering. It says they're, they're just gathering in from various lands, from the east and the west, the north and the south. The only thing that brings them together is this, this, this fact they've been rescued. They're gathering what? To give thanks to the one who's rescued them. Well, you know, one thing I love about Madison is there are so many great things that draw people together, right? I mean, concerts on the square, you got the farmer's market, You've got things like Dane Dances, right, guys? Some of you were there last Friday? Yeah, you know? So you've got all these things. You've got great beer. Like, I mean, how much craft beer can you fit into a city, right? It's all here. There's so much great cheese, so much great food, and, and I love how it just brings Madison together, okay? But, but this, is, this is the point, is it not? Like, Redeemer City, why does it exist? It exists to see the city of Madison renewed by the gospel. Like, that's why we exist. So we gather, right? And we come together, and we're just ones who have been rescued by grace, nothing of our own, right? And we give thanks. And we live in a city, and you know what we're here for? We're here to invite others to come and be filled with what's satisfying, to come and be rescued from past that can't be rescued by themselves, but that Jesus would come and they'd see his love. We invite him in, and what would happen? We would together, collectively, gather and just say, I'll give thanks to the Lord, for he's good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your love. Thanks that it's not fickle. Thanks that it's not, um, it doesn't just stop. It just keeps coming. And um, we're just grateful that you've um, sent your son. Thank you, Jesus, for the dramatic rescue of what you've done and your work on the cross and your resurrection. And thanks that you gather a people from all different walks of life 
to be a community together and with one voice. We just offer it up and we say thanks. In word and in deed and with our lives, we offer it to you. Amen.